everybody, it's Tanya Adlita again at Recovering Church Girls, and I am so excited to introduce you to yet another one of our tribe. This is Melody Spencer, and she is the host of Biz Babes with Soul, and has her own recovery story to share with us. So Melody, thank you so much for being a part of things here. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. This is such a unique idea for a show, and I think it's so needed. Well, it's so funny because as we were talking about right before we got started here, just saying the words recovering church girls elicits such a wide range of responses and you can get a really good sense of what someone's experience is with the church or organized religion or spirituality based on how they react. Um, and it's just been a ton of fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm so interested to hear the other interviews too because I told you before we got started, sometimes I feel like a weirdo. Like when I talk about my background and I talk about what it was like growing up, it just feels like most people I'm friends with now don't understand that world. So it's kind of like I want to like hug these other people who get it. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, oh my gosh, you're one of us. You understand what it's like. Right, exactly. I think most pop culture references between, say, like the late 80s through the vast majority of the 90s, I'm not really going to get unless I happen to catch all the replays in the 2000s. Like the Friends, like everybody was I all was about never Friends. Friends. Yeah. I never, I didn't watch any of it until I think it was on the replays. And mm -hmm. I, I could be wrong, but I don't think I did. Um, because at that same time, it would have been when I was in the internship with the ministry and in a charismatic university. So mm -hmm. there just wasn't really bandwidth for that at that point. Yeah, yeah. Either that or I, there was an actual rule that I wasn't allowed to, you know, one or the other. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure I'll get into this, but there was many things I could not watch, and I wasn't supposed to watch Saved by the Bell, so I would sneak over to my friend's house and watch it. I, I wasn't supposed I wasn't supposed to watch MTV, and I would sneak over to my friend's house and watch it. And there's all these things that I'd be like, oh, I'm just gonna go hang out with my friend. I was like 12, you know, no. Yeah, you know, but then I feel guilty familiar. for watching it, you know. Oh, yeah, so yeah, between the restriction and the guilt, I think we are definitely going to get get into that. So let's do this. Give us kind of an overview. What was your childhood like? What was your upbringing? Um, and then I think as we just kind of follow the course of conversation, I'm really curious about the moment where you started to feel like maybe there was something maybe not necessarily more, but something different than, than what you had experienced and what that looks like for you now. So all yeah. sorts of fun directions. Yeah, there's, here. yeah. So, um, I was born in 1984, so I'm 34. Um, and I really started out my life, um, in a very interesting way. I was a preemie. So I was a pound 10 ounces when I was born. Oh my goodness. Um, they basically told my mom that I was going to die. So my parents' church at the time, pretty much everybody prayed for me, and I was a quote-unquote miracle baby. So I really Aww. feel like I was supposed to be here, that I'm mm -hmm. meant for something. And I think almost that colored a bit of my life because it was almost this pressure, like, what are you going to do? What you know, God sent you here. Mm -hmm. You're special. Like, you've got to show up really big because you were saved. Right, yeah, the expectation um, that goes along with that. I totally get that. Yeah, so I lived in Florida when I was, that's where I was born, and that's where I started out my life. Um, my parents were in a charismatic, non-denominational church. Um, it was very, very legalistic. Looking back on it now, I think it was almost bordering on cult-ish. Um, so I'm going to pause you right there only because, first of all, I'm like bursting. I'm like, uh-huh, because I was right there with you. But what's so funny to me is I always thought growing up non-denominational, because, you know, you'd meet people at school or whatever, because, of course, I wasn't really allowed to have friends that weren't saved. Yeah, like, exactly. Church, so so there's, there's that piece. But then the idea of like, you know, oh, well, what church do you go to? Or people would ask, what denomination are you? And my response was, oh, well, we're non-denominational. So I always thought that meant that, like, the regular rules didn't apply in the mm -hmm. sense that we were more open and, you know, kind of a collective and, you know, like that <laughs> type of a thing. And boy, was I wrong. But yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know it. I had no other frame of reference. So mm -hmm. just the combination of the word non-denominational and charismatic 
And I'm like over here ready to have church myself. I'm like, uh-huh, hallelujah, amen, because I totally get it. I totally get yeah. it. Yeah, so most of my, you know, when I was first little, you know, like baby to like six, because that's when we moved, um, was about church. My So my dad is a pastor. He's a worship pastor. Um, and my parents, that's all they've done their whole lives. They just retired. So they've been in ministry for 40 years. Wow. Um, that's quite they, a life of service. I mean, that, that really requires so much dedication and humility and love and forgiveness, like probably constant forgiveness, I would imagine. So they, my parents actually got married when they were 18 and 19. They um, got saved and met during the Jesus movement of the 70s. And so they joined a Christian band and that's where they met and fell in love. And, you know, that's where the church they were in came from, which is all great. But looking back on what they've dealt with now, it was very legalistic. They have lots of anxiety and guilt and shame around that because of the way that the leadership dealt with people Mm. in that church. And it's a lot of layers of just crap. Yeah. that I see have just followed my family and other people who were in that same church too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that most of my childhood there was based on going to church, going, you know, doing stuff with church people, playing with church kids, being in Sunday school, you know, doing <laughs> like vacation Bible school, like all that stuff. That was just my life. I was homeschooled. A good chunk of my life um, and everybody else I was friends with was as well it was just kind of that's just what you did I didn't know anything mm-hmm. different yeah um, and I had a few like neighborhood friends who were not churched but I feel like my parents kind of looked down on them a little bit I don't I don't think they meant to but it was just how they were at the time right well and I found so much of these kinds of communities really became very polarizing. Even though mm-hmm. the the verbiage that was used, the language was we we lead with love and we want to embrace our neighbors, there was also this very, very strong undercurrent of an us versus them type of mentality and mm-hmm. that, you know, we were redeemed and we were set apart and we were the city on the hill so that we could cast the light, mm-hmm. you know, and it really did become this alienation from, you know, who we were to then the surrounding neighborhood and the surrounding communities. And I think in the most part, I've seen a shift in that within churches across the board in the last 10, 20 years. Mm -hmm. So that's nice to see, but at the same time, those of us that lived through that, I think that it really did have an impact in how we see the world and especially how we see ourselves in the midst of that as we talk about like the guilt and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The thing that I look back on now as a small child in that church is that there was always this constant pressure to be like, oh, you're God's warriors, you're God's children, like you're set apart. And it was like this constant, like, you've got to be good. You've got to be great. Mm. You're, you're this example for the world. And that's a lot of pressure to put on like a six-year-old. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't it though? Yeah. So we left Florida in, I don't know, like the mid nineties. So I was six, we moved to Alabama same kind of course of action like we my parents joined another church i was homeschooled for a bit and then went to a private school for a bit a christian school again i was just friends with other kids mostly in the church um you know i grew up on all contemporary christian music all listening to ccm radio all about the newsboys and audio adrenaline (laughs) and um who else I was really into Carmen for a while. I was just going to say, now, if you want to go old school, we could throw some Carmen in here. He's terrible. Amy Grant. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I was obsessed with Amy Grant. Obsessed. (laughs) There was one Christmas that I think I broke the tape of, she did the songs from The Loft. I think I broke that tape. Because you played it so often. Yeah, because I played it so much. Yeah. So I was all into all that. I think my first, one of my first concerts was, Carmen, I think. I feel like that might have been mine too. 
which yeah. you know then it's just kind of like do we really count that and and no that was so bad <laughs> but yeah i'm like going yeah like let's not even go into the music quality or even the production or any of the rest <laughs> of it but does it count as a concert when you go with your youth group and mm-hmm. all of the parents are up in the balcony area like does that no count? that doesn't count no. <laughs> i'm thinking not <laughs> yeah so yeah, most of my life or as a kid was kind of based around that, like until high school, like I was in youth group, you know, I was always in like every ministry and committee and going on mission trips and, you know, like that was just my life um, until high school. And I, we moved to Tennessee. I went to high school in, outside of Nashville and that's kind of when and I went to a public high school. That's kind of when I realized that my life was a little bit different than everybody else's. Because here I was, like, this super, like, quiet, good, sweet, like, Christian girl. And the first, one of the first things I did my freshman year was I started a prayer group at the beginning of school. Been there, done that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I look back on it, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, how dorky. Like, and that literally only lasted for like two years and then I started making more like other like non-church friends I got into theater I was always a dancer so I had more friends from like ballet and it just kind of yeah it just kind of started I kind of started becoming my own person a little bit but I still went to church I was still like the good kid in my group of friends like Mm -hmm. a lot of my theater friends were like smoking pot and drinking and dropping acid and I'm like guys we shouldn't do that like (laughs) you know and I still like went to youth group and so I kind of was living two different lives like hanging out with my artsy friends and then hanging out with like my good quote-unquote good Christian friends and I would imagine just, you know, having that shared experience that you probably had quite a bit of guilt about that. The idea that, you know, are you are you being true to your faith by even having these friends, you know, mm-hmm. that, that don't subscribe to the same belief system or are behaving in such a way that you were very much told is not okay. So I would imagine there was a lot of tension in that. Yeah, and my parents didn't necessarily like my friends and I don't know, I think there was just definitely, being a teenager and bumping up against those rules and that, the way I'd been raised, and I look back now and I wasn't even a bad kid, I just was trying to find out who I was, and Mm -hmm. I was like, these rules are stupid, like, (laughs) I'm gonna sneak out and go to a movie, an R-rated movie, and I'm gonna lie about who I was with, like, dumb stuff that really doesn't matter, I wasn't drinking, I wasn't doing drugs, I wasn't sleeping around like I was still a good kid but that still was like ooh, not the girl that my parents knew and not the the Christian girl that they were used to right so what what happened after high school or like what was the did you have a moment where it was kind of like a a jarring idea between how you were raised versus what you currently believe or act now or was it kind of a gradual I don't like these rules, and that started kind of the unraveling. Honestly, where I am now didn't really show up until about seven or eight years ago. Um, So after high school, I, you know, of course went to college. I was a good kid, straight A student, got a scholarship, and I went to a university that I didn't really want to go to, but my parents didn't have a lot of money, and they wanted me to go somewhere that I got a scholarship for. So I went there. And I immediately got severely depressed. Mm. I had always had depression, had always had anxiety, but I had no friends there. I didn't really have a support system when I first got there. My parents, my parents got a job in North Carolina, so they moved away. My dad got a job at a church there. And so I had nothing. I had nothing to fall back on. And that just threw me for a loop. Mm. Um, and I was involved in a campus ministry there. And the campus minister basically said, I don't know if he just wasn't like well-versed in how to help people with mental illness, but he basically was just like, you need to get over it and suck it up and pray. Wow. And I was like suicidal depressed. (laughs) Mm. Um, So I think that kind of scarred me a little bit and made me a bit like, like, okay, so not everybody is as good as they say they are. Like not every ministry is as you know 
perfect as I feel they are. Yeah. So I ended up failing my freshman year of college, which was another big guilt and shame situation. Mm. Um, and I ended up moving to North Carolina where my parents had lived. And I decided to take a year off after that. And I did um, a discipleship training school with YWAM for, basically I was gone for a year. It was like six months, but then I was, I stayed longer, which was, now that I look back on it, um, it was great, but I don't fully agree with everything they taught then, mm -hmm. but I think it was a really good healing place to kind of get through the last year of my life. Sure. And um, for anybody who might not be familiar, yeah. YWAM is Youth with a Mission. With a mission. Yeah. Uh, and the reason why I know that is because they were pretty much considered our arch rival. If you can have arch rivals in ministries, then that would be it. Um, and I don't know if that's even like, that kind of seems very counterintuitive. Theoretically, there should not be a rival. And at the same time, I think there was a certain amount of competitiveness because I did the internship with Teen Mania Ministries. Oh my gosh. I was just going <laughs> to say, I was just going to say, I went to a lot of Teen Mania Acquire the Fire conferences. Yep. And I, I was actually one of the interns looked, that helped make those possible. <laughs> one of my Bibles was a branded Acquire the Fire Bible. Well, there you go. Yeah. So we've just uncovered like this huge other uh, subplot here. You're I right. Think. It was kind of a rivalry. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, well, it's funny because we would, uh, my particular role within the internship was in leadership development. And typically the way the internship was designed was that you would come in uh, for a six-month time in one program or the other. Either you were in the office or you were on the road. And then mm -hmm. you would switch in the second term. So, you know, have more exposure and blah, blah, blah. Well, not me. I stayed in leadership development for the entire year. And that really fed into my people-pleasing and perfectionism and workaholic and all the rest of it. So I was easily working 60, 70 hours a week without batting an eye, uh, you know, especially in a really busy season. But we, having said that, because of my role in leadership development, I saw all of the bios for all of the people who would be our team leaders or our project directors who are actually taking the teens on the trips overseas. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're, we're looking for the YWAM connections and, and all of that type of a thing. And anytime we can steal a YWAM person, you know, <laughs> like there's, it's a thing. It was, it was legitimately a thing. Um, and of funny. course, you know, I, I love what you said about the idea that there was, there was a healing that took place for you in that time and in that environment because mm -hmm. now to this day some of my very dearest closest friends mm -hmm. who really we call each other our chosen family we came through that experience together mm -hmm. now having said that there is no way in hell I will ever let my kids go on one of their trips. Well, they don't exist anymore. That's a different topic altogether. <laughs> um, and they were on a 2020 episode about, you know, is this a cult? Like, so there's so really? much. Really? Oh, here. now I want to go back and watch that. There's Ooh. so much. Yeah. You, trust me. We'll be getting into all of that as we go in, <laughs> as we go in deeper into the world of recovering church girls. Um, but I think really, you know, to be able to find the good in these I don't know about you, but the more that I got to the place of being able to truly unpack this and at the same time have the level of self-awareness and kind of the self-discovery process, mm -hmm. there was a, a, a blending of the two where I was finally able to meet in the middle and honor the good and keep the good and identify the bad or manipulative or mm -hmm. downright damaging uh, you know, identify those things for what they were and still hold space for the good. Because for a little while yeah. in my healing process, I thought it had to be all or nothing, which mm -hmm. I think is totally symptomatic of the environment in which we were raised. Because it was all black or white. There was no gray. Mm -hmm. It was all absolutes. So, you know, yet again, one other way that we were very much shaped and impacted by that kind of philosophy informing the way that we saw the world. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, there. I can see the good in it. It's like you said, I have some good friends from that experience. I have lots of connections. I got to travel. Um, I learned a lot of things that I still think about. I got to spend time in a beautiful place for a year. Like, those are all fantastic things. Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I think about some of the things we were taught and how damaging to women they were, how damaging to people of different races and sexual orientations they were and mm -hmm. 
And I also think about on these mission trips, what the hell did we actually do for people? Right. We interceded for people? Okay, great. They needed water and food. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't need someone doing a skit in Spanish. Like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah. I just, I'm like, could we have pulled all that money and built them houses and given them clean water? Because right. that would have actually helped them live. Right, exactly. And help them for generations to generations. And, yes. and I'm sure that some will say, well, by coming to Christ, we have changed the trajectory of their lives. And, you know, it's kind of like, all right, I don't want to go so far as to say whether that's right or wrong, because I do believe that everyone has the ability to have their own individual path. And for some, if, if that mm-hmm. is, you know, Christianity and, and that's where they are, then totally cool. I'm certainly not going to be one to, to point any fingers at that. But at the same time, I look at the idea, you know, like, let's go even to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. Like, we all study this in school, right? You've got the foundation of the very base level of taking care of your human needs. If we could have done that, if we could have started there, how much more impactful would the message possibly have been? And so that mm-hmm. was definitely, I, I share that experience, you know, wholeheartedly with you in the idea of, man, do I regret the, well, do I really regret it? Like, that's that's a tricky place because yeah, I don't think, I don't think, think I some regret good it. done, but at the same yeah. time, I feel like we left so much potential on the table. And that's what I kind of feel about mission trips as a whole now. I I know people who are youth pastors and they go on trips to like these incredible places. And I'm like, is it really about you helping people or is it about going on a cool trip? Well, it's going to say, and let's be honest, because I feel, feel like what happened, at least again, what I saw and what I saw behind the curtain, that it was really more about impacting the youth of America more mm-hmm. so than it was about the environments to which we visited. Because, yeah. it, and, and that I will totally say, and I love that you mentioned travel earlier too, because my first exposure to international travel was through missions trips. Me and too. It is yeah. A huge, huge piece of me now. Like, I. Me I've too. I'm obsessed chunks, with travel. Right. I've left chunks of myself, like, all throughout the world. Um, and that is solo travel, especially, is one thing that will always heal me in ways that a lot of other things won't. So I wouldn't have that necessarily if I didn't have, or at least I, I might not, if I didn't have those other experiences. Mm-hmm. So I'll always be grateful for that. And the idea of getting out of our own way as privileged American kids. And even if we are not privileged according to American society you know, standards, we're certainly privileged when it comes to third world standards, mm-hmm. which is where a lot of these missions trips were too. Yeah. So to that end, you know, certainly grateful for that exposure and the differences in cultures and, you know, all of those kinds of things I think are absolutely vital um, to the point where with my kids, I have, um, I have two kids, they're teenagers now. And years and years ago, my daughter wanted to be a, um, an author and an illustrator. She still actually has some of those, That's awesome. those pieces of her. But she was really little, and she was in the back seat, maybe like five, six years old. And she piped up. There was a little shop on the corner that had gone out of business. And this was a one-stoplight town that we were living <laughs> in, so tiny, tiny little space. And she's like, Mommy, I'm going to buy that and make it into a bookstore, and then I never have to leave. And it was that last sentence that, like, drove a dagger into my heart. And I was like, oh, my God, we can't do that. So I was like, okay, so how about we go to all 50 states before you guys graduate high school, and then you can see everything. So that is literally how this crazy adventure that we take Uh, We are now up to 33 states, and we've got two years left, Uh, so it's like pressure's on now. But it was really, it was that contrast of, I'm just going to stay here for forever, and, you know, here's me and mom role wanting to expand their vision and expand their Mm -hmm. base of what they're familiar with. So I will always be grateful for the short-term missions for that aspect for me personally. Yeah. You know, did we really make a difference? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's kind of how I feel. I'm like, uh, okay. Right. Yeah. So what are what are things like now with your family? Are you able to to be fully transparent with your parents about how you think and feel? Um, yeah, it's actually interesting. As I've evolved 
they have kind of evolved. So my parents just retired um, and left ministry. And I think that's kind of been a hard change for them, just kind of going, okay, well now they're still working a little bit, but they're doing like, just like side jobs, like not doing church work. Mm-hmm. And that's weird because they've done that for so long. But I don't know I, where I am now. I'm definitely spiritual. Not I haven't been to church in like seven or eight years now. Um, and so I'm really into talking about like manifesting and like positivity and uh, which sounds very in my like back of my mind is like oh that's new age witchy witch and I'm like yep. <laughs> it's actually not it's actually cool you know but I, I briefly like mentioned these things to my mom and she's like oh yeah like yeah like she agrees and I'm like who, who are you right, right. <laughs> what have you done with my mother so I think it's just dropping a little like bits of information and it's I guess her seeing me becoming more of a adult even though I'm like in my mid-30s you would think I'm an adult by now but um yeah I think as I've evolved they've evolved so Mm -hmm. it's it's definitely growing and changing my relationship with them is a lot better than it used to be they've stopped asking every week what church we're gonna find Mm, (laughs) so that's good that's a step in the right direction yeah yeah so it really was um like seven or eight years ago when my husband and I actually met in college, he was in grad school. I was finishing up my se- yeah, senior year, no, junior year, junior year of college. Um, and we met in a Bible study for the church we were both going to, um, dated for like a year and a half and got engaged, like classic, like get married way too soon. <laughs> like, I think that's pretty that- common in the Christian world though. Yeah. Um, Because now, so we've been together 13 years, married 11 years, but we say all the time, man, if we had been in a different space, we probably would have just lived together. Mm -hmm. Not that we didn't enjoy being married, but getting married straight out of college at like 23, that sounds like such a baby to me now. And now I'm like, oh, what was I thinking? Like, I was straight out of college, got married. It was the recession, couldn't find a job, like Mm. just a layer upon layer of just like bad crap that did not make for a great first few years of marriage. Right. Yeah, talk about a lot of pressure and stress to put on a new marriage. And to be honest, the only reason we got married is because we wanted to have sex. Again, very common. Yep. Totally get it. uh, True love waits right here. And Uh that's a whole nother whole nother conversation that I let's let's go there for a second because if you're cool with it yeah um, yeah no I'm totally open about it that's another huge piece of specifically as it relates to women more so than the guys um because oh yeah I feel like okay now you're gonna have to check me because I will totally go off on a soapbox moment here so I know I have a lot to say about this because (laughs) when I discovered that crap wasn't in the bible I got real mad Well, I find it so interesting because, you know, when we think about, oh boy. All right. So when we think about this idea of the purity movement, which is kind of what we're referring to Which just makes me angry. Yeah. I mean, just even talking about it, it's kind of like, I I know my blood's starting to boil. um, And so I would imagine yours might be as well. But this idea, so for anyone who might not be familiar, the, the concept of true love waits was a campaign, a full out marketing campaign that was targeted to the youth of these churches. Um, you know, specifically like high school range, I think some as early as even middle school. Um, There was, there were books, uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. I was going to say, did you read I Kiss Dating Goodbye? Of course I I did, because I had to, you know. Did you know that Joshua Harris has now said that he regrets writing that book? I do. I do indeed. As a matter of fact, Joshua Harris, I love that article he wrote. I want you on this podcast. (laughs) And I want to listen to that podcast because... That book really changed my life, but not really for the better. Like, I remember getting that book in middle school and being like, this is what I'm going to do, and this is amazing, and like, yeah. Yeah. The naivete is is absolutely astounding. When I look at the me of, you know, being 
even 12 and 13, and there's the sweet mm-hmm. innocence, but there's flat-out naivete. And that stayed with me for another decade longer because of all of these, you know, environmental things. So for me, I feel like there was there was so much unlearning I needed to do. But really looking at from almost a systemic type of way, this is where I can be very judgmental very, very quickly about Mm -hmm. organized religion and specifically within the charismatic church because I feel like this purity movement, this idea of let's put all of the pressure on our girls to protect and prevent any sort of sexual experience coming from either direction, but the idea being that it's their responsibility, speaking Mm -hmm. of the girls specifically, it is my responsibility to manage your lust speaking to the guys you know because of mm-hmm. course the only definition of a relationship that was allowed to even be discussed was the man and the woman so for all right. of all of our community members who were in this environment and not even recognized because they were homosexual or transgender oh, have- or non-binary like i mean there's it just blows my mind now to think about all of the moving pieces to this there's so many layers i have a really good friend who we were in church with Uh, he was actually a groomsman in our wedding and he ended up leaving our church because he'd always known he was gay but he'd been through conversion therapy and Mm. like all that crap and he ended up leaving because he was like i'm ready to speak my truth i'm ready to come out fully and live my life as a gay man and a lot of our friends turn their backs on him because they're like, we can't be in a relationship with you because we don't agree. And to see where he is now, he's now gotten into a spiritual place, but it's different, kind of like me. Mm-hmm. But I can't even believe he has any grace to come back into that world mm-hmm. because of how horribly he was treated. And he's told me stories that I didn't even realize were going on from the church elders, from our pastor, just awful, awful things. Well, and just even the idea of conversion therapy, I think that to even, I mean, I had no idea that that even existed until Mm -hmm. maybe uh, 10 years ago. And it still goes on. Yeah. Well, and just even up to 10 years ago, I was saying really stupid shit that I don't agree with at all Mm -hmm. anymore. I mean, I'm ashamed of some of the things that have come out of my mouth thinking that I was saying what God wanted or, you know what I mean? Like any of those things where now I look back and I'm like, I... I am so ashamed of even thinking that that was anywhere close to being correct and just how judgmental and harsh and yeah, it's heartbreaking to think about it. And yet then very quickly after my next thought is thank God. And, And I do mean God in this sense and thank source and thank spirit and thank universe that I've had the journey that I've had in Mm -hmm. order to see how different you know those perspectives are i'm so grateful to be the me that i am now who had that experience and can look at the pain that i caused Mm -hmm. and to own it and apologize for it and to truly make amends human being to human being outside of any of the rest of this nonsense yeah absolutely so back to (laughs) the whole purity movement um I don't know if you feel like this, but I feel like it was definitely a way to control women. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I think. And this is where I'm yeah. going. I don't want to believe that there were a group of old white men in a little room somewhere that was like creating this master plot. And at the same time, that is incredibly believable uh-huh. based on how it actually all went down. And I think, too, especially in the recent Me Too, Me Too movement. The stories that were coming out of the church were not at all surprising to any of us who grew up in the church who had Mm -hmm. any of those experiences. I think we all did. We just never talked about it because we never could. And yet then you see mainstream society, you know, kind of responding to this of like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe, you know, well, here's another reason they're all hypocrites. I'm like, hold on. Before you dismiss us all as hypocrites – Let's really look at this and let's look at the way the environment was created and maintained Mm -hmm. to monitor what we were allowed to say, what we weren't allowed to say, whether or not our experiences were valid because, after all, we're just girls. You know, Mm -hmm. all of that, all of that factors in. 
Yeah, and I think, I don't know, you probably have this experience. The amount of times that I had someone say, you can't wear that because that's going to make me stumble. Mm -hmm. You can't wear spaghetti straps. You can't wear shorts. You can't wear a skirt that's longer, that's shorter than above your knee. Like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that... by the way, we are totally <laughs> good to curse as much as you want because I am totally okay with earning our explicit rating every single time. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, what the fuck? Like, why is it my responsibility to not, like, if you're that horny, which most teenage boys are, like, it, like, a potholder is going to make you, like, salivate. Like, come on. Right. It's not my choice as a 15-year-old to make you stumble or not. It's just, oh, it makes me so mad. And I know on the flip side, from what my husband has told me, what he got was, oh, you can't watch porn because that's, you know, that's a whole thing. And, like, they would have, like, trackers on their computer that their, like, youth leader would check. And, like, it's all just shit. It's all shit. Well, it's it all about controlling so, people. Yeah, absolutely. What's so interesting to me is that when you put this idea of, you know, what is it, um, modest is hottest, that, uh, that whole bit, yeah. like, you know, when you put that idea on to a group of teenagers and let's you know again put all this pressure on the girls to then have to manage the guys uh, mm -hmm. in that first of all you're devoiding the, the guys in the situation of any personal responsibility whatsoever so what happens then when they finally work up the nerve to ask the girl out she shoots him down he doesn't know to handle rejection because he can't handle his own shit because he's never been required to uh -huh. and then he lashes out and most likely gets abusive whether that's emotional or physical uh -huh. or sexual and why are we then surprised yeah well and the other thing that i have found in that world is that a lot of people me included did not know how to have relationships, did not know how to um, date because mm -hmm. we courted or right. like I did, I did <laughs> date. Group dates. Group dates, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I dated my husband, but I was, a, I couldn't flirt. I didn't know when guys were hitting on me. Like I was just so awkward. And I knew little to nothing about sex. Like that, sorry, mom, if you're listening, like <laughs> that is the truth. Like there was no sexual education. Like right. that's a whole problem unto itself. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't think I've ever had a sex talk with my parents. Like ever. my mom left one years a, old. <laughs> she left me a book and I think I watched a really awkward video and I think that's about it. And I did, I remember in like fifth grade watching a video about like, girls starting their period and like what boys go through. And that's all I remember. I, I didn't, I vaguely knew how things worked, worked. Uh, that's about it. Like how awkward, how right. weird, how scary. Well, and it's funny. It's interesting to me because then it really, it changes the story when it comes to our relationships and let's even take it a step further into our marriages. Mm -hmm. So, you know, here we're supposed to be having these holy divine marriages and these relationships that are you know each of us coming together and now with god we're the three-stranded cord that won't be broken and you know like all of the things that we could put into this but how how dysfunctional can we possibly get the very foundation if uh -huh. you know we're coming into this under under those those terms and i i find that just again so interesting where the idea of keeping set apart like i keep coming back to this idea because i feel like again there was a control there there was a fear yeah. and i feel like so much of what i experience now i can look back and unpack it and identify it again for what it is but so much of the rule-based and the judgment and the control the rules like all of it points back to fear it's not even yeah. just an attempt to control. It's I want to control because I might actually really care about you and I want to keep you safe and this is a big bad world out there. Mm, yeah, that that totally checks out. And thinking about the same thing, I don't I said before I have depression and anxiety issues and I remember as a kid, as a teenager, even in college, I would have anxiety over the fact that I hadn't saved enough people. Mm. I had you know there's a whole like you've got to <sighs> 
you've got to save people. You've got to be good. You've... Yeah. And I just remember being like, I'm not going to get into heaven because I haven't saved like X number of people. What oh, bullshit. God, I'm so sorry. Yeah. As what? I was saying, by the way, I want to apologize on behalf of the campus pastor because I feel like, it, first of all, that just breaks my heart that that is the kind of counsel you'd be given, but also to be in this moment because I can totally identify with that. We have tied our worth up in what we can accomplish for the good of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then it's this the pressure that we always mm-hmm. have to be doing something. And I, I wonder even if this might be something your parents are experiencing now in retiring from a lifetime of ministry, if all of their self-worth is tied up in the good that they can do for others, yeah. where does that leave you when it's time to retire? So I think there's, again, so many layers about who we yeah. become and how we see ourselves with this kind of standard. When I think it's still hard for me, having left the church, like, trying to reconcile with feeling like, oh, am I doing something wrong because I haven't gone to church? Am I doing something wrong because I don't read the Bible anymore? Am I doing something wrong because I don't pray very much? Like, but I have another friend who has also left the church, but she's still spiritual, too, and we've talked about it. And she was like, you just got to feel it out. Like, does it feel Mm -hmm. good to you? Does it make you happy? Does it, she's like, you just have to check it out in your spirit. And if it feels good, then do it. If it doesn't, then throw that shit away. Like, right. And I love what you're saying there too, because you're specifically saying, check in your spirit, how it feels. We're not saying that this is about like carnal pleasure and go Mm -hmm. do that, which Again, not really that there's anything wrong with that either. Yeah but, yeah. but really, it's the idea of like, we're we're not saying we're devoid of spirit or any sort of spiritual leanings or experiences. We're, we're really blending all of this back in together. Because I don't know about you, I really seriously felt that I was told to separate from myself mm-hmm. from a very, very young age. Yeah. That I couldn't rely on my body to use as a tool to tell me how Mm -hmm. I felt about things or if something was good or right or safe because it was just emotions and I couldn't possibly rely on them. You know, all of those kinds of things were told, especially again in the charismatic church. And then lo and behold, the more that you actually Mm -hmm. do the inner work and you start to peel back all the layers and you can define what is your intellect versus what is your emotions versus what is your spirit, the more that you do that work, then you find out, oh, wait, that's what my body has been trying to tell me all along. And it all comes back to this idea of like self-care and self-discovery and self-awareness. And it's just like, oh, wait, these are all really, really good things. And you can even find scriptural references to back it all up. Funny how that never got mentioned to us. That's the thing that I think has been the biggest eye-opener for me in the past, you know, seven to five years is the fact that so much of what is in the bible is one just allegory just story it's not black and white it's i I was always told it's an instruction manual no it's not it's a story and so much of it is a lot more liberal and a lot more hippie than people want to talk about Mm -hmm. like what i believe more now in the more spiritual woo-woo space is a lot more biblical than what i was taught as a child yeah and that just blows my mind Mm -hmm. yeah i totally get it and i'm i'm right there with you in the woo-woo space that's pretty much where i am too like as i'm sitting here with my crystals and you know i know if you can see (laughs) back my salt lamp and my my crystals like Again, like a lot of people are like, oh, and I'm like, no, it's, it's cool, man. It's cool. Like, yep. All good. All good. But really, I think that that embracing this aspect of my personality has actually enabled me to be much more gracious and open and accepting of other people in their own journeys, mm-hmm. especially and including those who are still in the church. Because again, you know, if this is something that is feeding your soul, who am I to tell you that it's wrong? Having said that, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to have an open, honest, respectful conversation Mm -hmm. that allows me to tell you my truth and hold space for me to listen to you telling me yours. Because without that, you know, it going both ways, 
let's not get into a shouting match about dogma or theology or, you know, like that's yeah. just, that is never going to be a way to engage me in conversation. Yeah. But I also have learned to stand up for myself a bit. Like if someone's talking about something politically or church wise or something that I just know is totally false, totally wrong, or I just do not agree with, I will say so. I don't mm -hmm. want to start an argument, but there's so much, only so much bullshit I can put up with and yeah. false, there's so much false information out there that people pass off as truth that just drives me insane. Right. Without doing any sort of fact checking or any of, any of the rest of it. That's so, yeah, the internet. <laughs> Right. Isn't that the truth? Uh, but yeah, no, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think especially as it relates to conversations with family members, I definitely now am much quicker to speak up. Um, and I think it's gotten to the point where there are certain topics that my parents probably just won't bring up anymore right. because they know where I stand. I know where they stand. We're probably not going to come to an agreement, and that's okay because I'd mm -hmm. rather spend our time together talking about the kids or playing our favorite card game or, you know, doing things that are going to build our relationship as opposed mm -hmm. to yeah. bring us further apart on these particular stances. Yeah. And that, that was totally hard for me, though. Like, so I, but I love that you say that because I, I don't know about you. I had to learn how to stand up for myself in these conversations because, again, you know, there, I don't know, the, the idea, the pressure that was put on us of you were saved for a reason because I was a preemie as well. I was only four pounds, so I wasn't, oh my goodness. I wasn't as extreme as one pound. No wonder we're friends. See? <laughs> um, but just, again, that idea of, like, you're here for more and we expect more of you mm -hmm. and you know i'm thinking of the verse this is crazy that i can remember i believe <laughs> it's second timothy i want to say 312 maybe i'll have to double check my reference here but this idea of don't let anyone look down on you because you're young mm -hmm. and instead lead them from this place of youth and connection to god and blah 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 um, funny though, like again, how quickly I can remember that, and yet all of the pressure that I felt that accompanied that, mm -hmm. and then at the same time that I wasn't allowed to speak what I really truly felt mm -hmm. or thought or you know whatever. You so, have to fit into this box. Yeah, you sure do. But isn't that so interesting that you know here we're held up as the goody two shoes and the poster child and and all the rest of it, and yet nobody actually wants to listen to us. Yeah, that's, I had never thought about that. That's really interesting, especially as a woman, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because God forbid that a woman has an opinion. That's... Right, right. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah, it is. I remember, like, bits and pieces that have come back to me as I've been really delving into these conversations where there has been, uh, you know, someone that would challenge the patriarchy. And I remember even almost defending it, you know, at different points during out mm -hmm. my, my teenage years, because again, I didn't know any better. I didn't know anything differently. And I grew up in a household that listened to a particular radio host that identifies feminists as feminazis. Uh, and I, I, uh, I can guess who that is. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you can. I would imagine <laughs> that the vast majority of us that grew up in some uh, my parents know also, exactly. My parents also listened to that radio host. Um, and I remember... <laughs> When Clinton was in office, I was excited when he got voted out because I was like, yes, a Republican. And now I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It's fascinating to me. It wasn't until maybe months ago, like not even a year ago, but I finally kind of had a bit of a, a come to Jesus, as it were, uh, conversation with my parents. I'm like, by the way, have you ever really stopped to think about what is happening in your brain every time you hear the word feminazi? Because you are automatically linking someone who believes that women are equal with men to someone who decided that they needed to eradicate the world of the entire Jewish population. Do you recognize that link? Do you agree with that link? And so, I, like I said, I totally went off on my soapbox moment. But it was enough that they saw what I was saying. They saw certainly that I was fired up about it. Um, mm -hmm. But I think also in that there was a, a certain recognition. And again, like you said, you know, as I've evolved, they have as well. I find that I have to be very careful to not assume that my parents are the same people that they were 10 and 20 years ago. Yeah. As I'm unpacking all of this. Yeah, I, same. <laughs> Absolutely. 
is just so interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's, I feel like we have a lot of similar stories. It's really interesting. Yeah, and come to find out, like, it wasn't just you, right? Like, it wasn't yeah. just me. And I always it, thought it really this was such does a make me experience. feel better. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think the more the more that I'm doing this work, um, man, there are a lot of us. Yeah, and thank God for therapy because, man, without therapy, whew, yeah, and I'm sure there's still more I could unpack, but that has helped my life tremendously. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And I think that the, the ability to have the conversation and to have the safe place to be mm -hmm. able to, to really start to identify what is true because it's true Mm -hmm. versus what is true, I'm using air quotes, because I was told it is. Yep, which there's so much of that. I mean, I I dated a guy in college around the time that um, the Da Vinci Code came out. And I remember th being like, oh, well, what? Like just questioning things, like questioning the Bible a little bit. And he was like, you can't question the Bible. He was like, we don't do that. Mm. And I was like, well, then why are these, there are these other books? And I didn't know that they put that together so much like longer after the stories are written. And he was like, no, 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 you cannot question the Bible. Interesting. And I'm just, I remember, I think that was kind of like the seed of me being like, hmm, something is not right here if I can't question anything. Right. Yeah. And I think they, the, again, it comes back to me in my mind as the separation. Were we ever supposed to separate our intellect from our spirituality? I don't think so. Uh, doesn't That doesn't feel right to me. Yeah. Uh, and yet, how often does that happen? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it's just, yeah. No, ahead, this has just been such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for your time and just your presence and your energy to be here fully engaged in this. Thank you. Yeah, this has been so much fun. I feel like yeah, I've made a new friend, and I <laughs> and I had therapy all in one session. Well, see, there you go. That's perfect. I <laughs> love that. I love that. Well, and for all of you guys who are listening, um, you know, obviously, that we have Recovering Church Girls and our Enlightened Guys, and uh, really, it's all the same thing. We are all both enlightened and recovering just day-to-day and -day having these conversations and being able to, to really engage and really see each other in our own stories. Uh, so thank you for being a part of that. And if this resonates with you, ask that you would share this episode with a friend or loved one and just continue what we're doing here at Recovering Church Girls. So Melody, again, thank you so much for being a part of it. Yeah, thank you so much. This was so great. All right, well, take care. <laughs> we will talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.